a $1 bill and a $50 bill were having a conversation in a cash register. Can you just imagine this for a moment? So they're talking and, and they're, they're asking, you know, uh, what have you been up to these days? Where, where have you been? And so the, the $50 bill says, oh, man, I, I've, I've been to some really nice restaurants. I've been to uh, some casinos. I've been to some really high-end uh, resorts. Uh, man, I've just seen some really beautiful and amazing things. Been to some concerts, been to some different things. Well, $1 bill, what have you been up to? And he says, oh, well, I've been to, you know, several vending machines. Um, you know, I, I, I've, I've been to a couple of convenience stores, you know, several of those. And uh, I've been in a lot of churches. And the $50 bill looks at him and goes, what's a church? <laughs> That's catching up slowly, isn't it? <laughs> hey, let me tell you how um, anxious people get when we start talking about money in the church. And let me see if I can't put your mind at ease just a little bit. God doesn't want your money. He wants your heart. I, I, I know that I've been to churches and I've seen videos and we all laugh and, you know, we've heard the, every time I go to that church, they're always asking for money. Well, I mean, seriously, do you think we do this for free? I mean, do you think it's free to evangelize and tell people about Jesus? Do you think that, that people who have committed their life to the study and the transforming of God's word into a palatable 30 to 45 minutes each week, how do you think we live? You know, at least in the Old Testament, what God had set up was for one of the tribes to not have those jobs and for the other 11 to provide for them, right? And this is not about providing for me as clearly as I want you to understand. Just, just simply, God does not want your money. He wants your heart. And if, if ever we attempt to think that God cannot do all that he wants to do because we don't give, we have deluded ourselves God is far more powerful than anything you've ever put in your wallet and a whole lot more than anything you ever take out of it. Bottom line, money is taught so many times throughout the Scripture. There's 2,300 different passages throughout Scripture that have something to do with money and provision and wealth. 16 of the 38 parables that Jesus taught about had something to do with money and possessions and wealth. God knew that we were going to have such difficulties with giving and with, with money and how we use it and good stewardship that he made sure to teach on that a whole lot. And, and I think if you were to look back, particularly those of you who are married, some of the greatest arguments you ever had were not about how much money you had, but how much money the other one spent. Amen? I only heard a couple of female voices in that one. I don't know why money frightens people so much. How can you be afraid of something you don't have? I mean, just think about that for a minute. But we get challenged when we talk about money, which is one of the reasons why I have such a strong stance about that in the church. I don't know who gives what in our church, and I don't care. I can conjecture. I, I can walk out in the parking lot and say, yeah, ooh, I bet that person could give. They probably don't, but I bet they could. I could be that kind of guy. I could be like some of my, my friends in, in little different cultures and little different denominations that, that they take up the offering at the beginning of the service, and if, if what they needed for the week didn't come in, they pass it back around again. I was in a church like that one time visiting. It was amazing. The pastor stood up, and he goes, Now, look, you could have given a whole lot more this morning. I saw some rims out there in the parking lot that would have covered us for the month. I love that man good godly teacher pokes you right in the eye every time he opens up God's word God doesn't want your money he wants your heart okay and so if we can start there this morning I would really 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 encourage you to get to that place because if money causes some sort of anxiety you're not alone if money causes some sort of fear you are not alone if money causes some sort of argument or angst you are not alone and so let's not be alone together this morning okay Let's kind of start on the same place in looking at this. 
I want to tell you about the Apostle Paul who had this, this amazing heart. Paul was a, was a Jew who had this heart for the Gentiles, non-Jewish people, which is pretty much all of us in this room. And he had such a heart to go to places to tell people about, about, the, about this Jesus, the Son of God, who came to be the Messiah for all mankind to forgive their sins, that he tried on several occasions to go to Asia, to take the gospel outside of the Jewish world, world and go into Asia. And the scripture tells us the only time we see this in the book of Acts, that the spirit of Jesus told him he could not go. And it broke his heart because Paul wanted to be obedient to the calling that he had. And he felt like I needed to go these things, but the spirit of Jesus stopped him. And so he continued to pray. And Paul finally gets what's called the Macedonian call, which really just lights a fire under him and sends him out into the more of the Greek world, outside of the, the Jerusalem and Judea area that we see, even if you look on a map today, outside of that, up along the coast of the, the, the Red Sea and the Mediterranean and all those areas up there, and watching the gospel move. And Paul had three very distinct missionary journeys that he went on. And, and Paul is teaching all of these people about the, the ways of Jesus. And so if Jesus taught 16 of his 38 parables were about money, then he probably taught a lot about those things. And he probably ran into the same types of things we run into, is that when we start dealing with, oh, it's money, 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 first of all, it's not yours, it's God's. God gave it to you to use properly, okay? And, and so Paul was teaching along the way, but he had this heart. And he was just about to go to Spain when he got this Macedonian call. Now, the Macedonians were a very interesting group of people. They were not wealthy. They, they really weren't known for a whole lot. They did a lot of trading on low margins, which means they, they moved a lot of product. They kind of made their money on volume, but they didn't make a whole lot. And, and they were in that world where they were trying to just get by. They were nothing like the Corinthian church, which the Corinthians were rich. They were loaded. They figured out how to squeeze a, a dime out of a penny, right? They, they knew how to make money, and they made a lot of it. And because they made a lot of it, they really puffed themselves up, even within the church, about how much money they had and how much money they made. And they had all these resources to do things. And I think we could all agree that when we have the finances and the resources, we get a little bit more liberal about how we spend and a little bit more courageous because the money's in the bank, right? And Paul is dealing with this. In Romans chapter 15, Paul writes back to the, to the, the church in Rome about his, his movements. I want to read one passage to you, then we're going to go someplace else. But he says this. He says, now, however, in verse uh, 25 through 27, he says, now, however, I'm on my way to Jerusalem in the service of the Lord's people there. For Macedonia and Achaia were pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the Lord's people in Jerusalem. They were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. Keep that in your mind. They owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have shared in the Jews' spiritual blessings, they owe it to the Jews to share with them their material blessings. Now, let me tell you why this is so important. Around Acts chapter 15, you're going to see the Jerusalem council. And what's going on in Jerusalem during this period in time is there's a famine, and there's, there's a lot of poverty, and all the things that they need are expensive. And so people who had a lot of money were getting that chopped away, and people who didn't have a whole lot of money were starving to death. And there was a lot of things happening. But the Jews had sent out Paul and Peter and a couple of the others to go to the Gentile world to tell them about Jesus. And when the word got to the Macedonians, what they believed is that we need to help these Jewish brothers and sisters out. Because we don't have a lot, but we're in better shape than what they are. And by the way, we owe it to them because without them, we would not have salvation. We would have never heard the message of Jesus Christ. And so the least we can do for our eternal life is to give them some of our temporary money. And so they decided they were going to take up an offering and send it from Macedonia back there. And so Paul, uh, the Apostle Paul, when he walks back into Jerusalem in Acts chapter 15, there are many looking at him going, well, isn't, that, isn't that Saul the killer? What's he doing in town? Time to hide my address, Right. And he's going back and he's bringing this offering. So he's talking to the Macedonian church and he's saying, I'm so proud of you for, for taking up this offering and bringing it back. And so I, I tell you that so you can understand in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And that's where I want you to turn this morning is to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. That Paul is continuing this conversation, this dialogue with the Corinthian church. And he, there's going to be some comparison here. Now, I'm just going to be honest with you. I think Paul has a right to compare the two different churches because he is the spiritual father. He is the authority in both of their lives. He is the one who has passed the word on to them and say, if I'm going to teach you, I'm going to teach you with conviction. I'm going to teach you with authority. I'm going to teach you with truth. And in order for me to do that, I'm going to have to say some things to the both of you so that you understand what's going on and why this is so important. 
And so when Paul gets to the Corinthian church, he's writing a letter back to them, and he's, he's hearing some things that are happening in their world, and he's not very pleased. And, and the reason why he's not very pleased is because he's looking at them and saying, no, 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 listen, and I know this is painful, but why can't you be more like your brother? <laughs> why can't you act more like these poor people over here who gave a whole lot more than what you're trying to withhold? Not even what you're trying to give, what you're trying to withhold. And so he's writing back to the Corinthian church, and he says this. We're going to start in, in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, and we're going to read the first eight verses and talk about them for a few moments this morning. This is Paul writing to the church, and he says, Now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches to the poor Gentiles out there. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God also to us. And so we urged Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything, Corinthian church, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in a complete earnestness, and the love we have kindled in you, see that you also in the grace of giving. Now this may seem like Paul's being very kind and very considerate, but he is not. There is nothing about this letter that they would have received with, gosh, that guy's awesome. There would have been a whole lot of ouch in there and not very many amens. And as he's writing this letter to them, he's doing this comparison thing. And, and I don't think he's really comparing brother to brother. What I think he's really saying is, you have this abundance, yet you've held on to it with such a tight fist. And here are your brothers, the Macedonians, who even out of their extreme poverty, extreme poverty, which I'm just going to be honest with you, I don't know that any of you in this room know what extreme poverty really is. You've never fully experienced it yourself, except perhaps spiritually. That's probably the only extreme poverty that most of us in this room, probably all of us in this room, have ever fully experienced. If you've ever been someplace before where you see extreme poverty, all you can do is witness it. You can't fully experience it. Many years ago, I took a, a dentist with me to India, and Dr. Rudy, he turned 74 years old on the way over uh, to India. And he says, well, son, I go down to Nicaragua every year and pull teeth. I'm like, Dr. Rudy, that's awesome. I've been to Nicaragua too, but you've never been to India, have you? No? And I says, the first 100 yards are going to be tough for you. And he goes, oh, no, I'm, I, I've seen a lot in this world. I, I've probably been going to Nicaragua for the last 15 years or so. That's great, Dr. Rudy, but I'm telling you, the first 100 yards are going to be tough for you. And we didn't make it 50 yards, and Dr. Rudy turns around looks at me. He goes, son, I'm not sure we got ourselves into. I said, Dr. Rudy, you know the difference between pulling teeth in Nicaragua and India? No. I said, because there's not any. I said, we're here to do the Lord's work today. And the next couple of days are going to be hard. We're walking through the mud and the muck, and we're walking through these slums. If you've ever seen Slumdog Millionaire, just bring some smell to that. The, the, the smell of humanity welling up as your feet get heavy walking through the mud and the muck. We're right at the end of the rainy season. And Dr. Rudy looked at me that first day, and he goes, this is going to be a hard week. I says, no, Dr. Rudy, it's going to be a hard nine days. Extreme poverty is a very interesting thing, but I have been places all over this planet where I've seen the poorest of the poor give the most they ever had. They're welcoming. In fact, the lowest 20% of income earners actually give more to the church than anybody else, according to the Pew Research Foundation. They find that most churches only give 1.7% of their collective net income and that the, the very elite give about 2.1%. Now, before you start thinking that, that tithing is an Old Testament principle and not a New Testament principle, and you're welcome to think that all day long, but I'll tell you this, if you don't have any place to start, then you don't let anybody down, including yourself. And I would tell you that I would carry 10% from the Old Testament into the New Testament every single day and not have a problem. Because I'll go back to what I said earlier, God doesn't want your money, you want your heart. And if your heart is about counting pennies and saying, oh no, I can't give 10% because that's an Old Testament and I'm under grace, not under law. Man, you're more under the law than what you know when you say that. 
You're more under the legalistic mindset that God will provide, but he's going to use somebody else to do it instead of myself. In the process of being in this extreme poverty and not giving, the Corinthian church gets this backhanded slap from Paul when he says to them in that very last verse, says that I hope that you excel in everything, your faith, your knowledge, your resources, your ability. You excel in everything except giving. You excel in everything except giving. Now I call you back to Romans chapter 15 where with a reminder to the Gentiles is that they owe the Jews because they had brought the word with them to tell them about Jesus. And Paul is essentially saying the same thing to the Corinthian church who was wealthy and had all the resources they could possibly need. They were thriving in the midst of this famine and this drought where the rest of the country and the world around them was suffering and struggling. And Paul said to them very clearly, I really wish that one thing that you're holding on to, that last thing that you're trying to control, I really wish that you would excel in giving and enjoy the grace of Jesus Christ by doing so. And it's a, it's a warning to them as well as it is to us to just ask simply this question, do you really believe that if you hold on to however much it is, percentage or dollar, do you really believe that if you hold on to that, even if God calls you in obedience to give that, do you really believe that if you hold on to that, that God's not going to provide for your every need? Are you, are you okay saying, I trust God except with my money? I trust Bank of America a whole lot more. God doesn't want your money, he wants your heart. I'm going to say that over and over and over again this morning because I, I want you to hear what's happening when we start talking about giving. And when he's talking about giving to these Corinthians, it's like you can't just halfway love the Lord and not support his work. You can't count on somebody else to go and do the work when God has called you to do it. That doesn't mean they can't do it. It doesn't mean God's not going to use them. But more than anything, what you're saying is that, God, you have control over most of me, but not all of me. Sam Houston, great Texas legend. First Baptist Church of Huntsville, there's a plaque that hangs there. I did a funeral there a couple of years ago. It's one of the oldest churches in Texas. And Sam Houston has this, this quote that's on this wall, this big old brass plaque up there that says that when I was baptized, my wallet was baptized with me. Good old General Sam, right? The one that they made a million-dollar statue that's so big everybody stops on the road to see it. Keep that in mind. Paul is calling out the Corinthians and saying, man, you guys are so close to this, this huge breakthrough of trusting God with all you have. You're so close to being complete in Christ and being such a beacon to all the rest of the world. You're so close to watching God do something amazing if you will but let go and trust him in this major area of your life, finances, the thing that has a reputation for you, that you have a financial history. You're so close. And I think Paul is echoing the same thing I've said. Corinthian church, God didn't want your money, he wants your heart. And where your treasure is, your heart will be also. Read with me what verses 8 through 10 say in that same passage. I always laugh when I read these things from Paul. He starts off, I am not commanding you. Yeah, but man, you put it on pretty thick. I mean, my stepmother is the only one who could put more of a guilt trip on me than Paul does. I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. Sincerity versus earnestness. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, here it is again, might become rich. And here's my judgment about what is best for you in this matter. Last year, all oh, this hurts right here. Hang on to this one. Last year, you were the first, not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. <laughs> oh, man. Our brothers over in Jerusalem, they, they're, they're broke, they're hurting, they're starving, there's a famine. 
everything, inflation has caught up to them. All these other things are happening over here. They really need our help. You know, you know the ones, the ones that, that sent missionaries to us to give us the gospel, the good news of salvation for all mankind through Jesus Christ. They're struggling over here. And as soon as you heard about that a year ago, you said, ooh, ooh, me, where can I give? Show me where the website is. I got my phone out. I can hit the QR code right now. You were the first ones to say, I want to send money over to those guys. And Paul says, time's up. It's been a year now. I'm here to collect. Oh, Paul, we were just kidding, man. A lot of things happened in a year. I mean, I was sincere at the time. But, you know, as the rest of the world starts to get impoverished and poor, we have to, we have to take care of ourselves. You know, I, I got to make sure that, that if something catastrophic happens, that I'm okay. Because if I'm not okay, I can't take care of others. Well, great. There's a pattern there. You're not taking care of others now. So it should be not much of a change for you. Paul is laying it on pretty thick. I'm not commanding you, but I am calling attention to your previous actions and behaviors where you were so quick to say, ooh, ooh, me, I want to get in the game. How can I give? How can I help? And whenever someone comes along with that offering plate, all you can think is, man, that church, every time they open the doors, all they want is money. Can I tell you something about gifts? When you give a gift, it's no longer yours. And to be perfectly honest, it belonged to God first, and he gave it to you to do something good with it. It was never yours to begin with. And so when I say God doesn't want your money, he doesn't want the money he gave you to do good with. He wants your heart so that we can continue doing good as Galatians 6 tells us that we talked about last week. And let me tell you something. It costs money to do good sometimes. That's just the economic reality of this life we live in. And so my question to you this morning as we listen to Paul smack the Corinthians a little bit, why can't you be more like the Macedonians out of their extreme poverty who said not only are we going to give, we're going to give so much more. We're going to sink into deeper poverty because we're going to be obedient to what God is doing. We're going to trust that when a time comes, they're going to be there for us because we're going to be there for them because that's what the body of Christ does. And while they're limping over here, we're running full speed. Why, why can't we be more like them? And Paul's saying, listen, you've got more access and ability to give than what they did. Let's see if we can't outgive one another in doing good. Let's see if we can't continue to reach them to encourage the body to make sure that we're building up, especially those of the household of God. That's not spiritual. That's not just praying for them. That's also making sure that their physical needs are met. Some of you have heard this story. I'll tell it again. But when we first guy that came and he wanted to, to kind of be a sponsor for us and they wanted to give us $1,000 a month, but in return, we needed to give back the association 10% of, of what we have. Now, I'd never met this guy. I knew some people that, that knew him in common. But I, I looked at him and I said, well, look, we've been operating for about three months now, and our budget is about $28,000 a month. I said, so you give us $1,000 a month. I'm going to turn around and give you $2,800 a month. I'm upside down. Already, and I don't mind helping out. If you, why is it that you want to give me 1000 when when clearly God's provided? We don't have need. God, our church has been self-funded from day one. We, we've, we've not had to get resources from other organizations and outreach. God has provided within our body, right? And the guy says, well, you, son, you need to learn what it means to give to missions. I had just finished seven years of serving in a missions ministry church that had about a $4 million budget annually that sent me on five to eight international mission trips annually. So I didn't really receive it well when he said I needed to learn how to give to missions. Can you give me a little grace on that? Needless to say, we did not receive that gentleman's $1,000 a month. When the PPP loan came around for churches to look around, whenever COVID shut things down, they said, hey, listen, you can apply for this and you can get these dollars and everything else. God had provided for our church in such a way. Now, to be fair, we went from 28000 a month. We're down about $18,000 a month, but God has provided for everything we've ever needed. I'm just going to be honest with you. I don't worry about that. Angelo's still eating. That's a good thing. That matters to me a lot, just to be clear with you. 
God provides. He takes care of his ministers. I believe that. I know that. I've witnessed that. I enjoy that right now. But I will tell you that our church is at about 22% of our giving right now in what we do. We support missionaries in Mongolia, Panama, Peru, Katy, inner city Houston. Every month we write close to $3,000 worth of checks that go back to those places. We may never go to some of those places. Some of y'all would never survive Peru, trust me on this one. Last time I went down there, the missionary and I were on the boat halfway down in the middle of the jungle, and he looked at me and says, I've been here 15 years. I've never been this deep in the jungle before. What? Some of y'all have met Brandon. Hadn't seen him in a while, have you? I tell you that because, listen, I'm proud of our church for how we give and what we do. But I'm going to tell you something. We should never get to a place to say, financially in God's economy, I have arrived. Pride comes before a fall, does it not? My friend Tina at Hope Impacts, one of the ministries that we help out with, she has this saying that I've heard probably for the last 12 years or so since I've known Tina. And Tina says, we are all but one disaster away from homelessness. 80% of Americans don't have $1,000 in the bank. You are one major car repair away from absolute poverty. 2,000 people. That's what this Ross Warehouse, Goya Foods, Igloo, Rooms to Go are trying to hire between now and September 1st. 2,000 people. They can't seem to hire them for two primary reasons, child care and transportation. Now, folks, I'm not telling you that things are good in our economy. We do have it better than the rest of the world. I think we would all probably agree with that, especially if we've gone anyplace else. But sometimes things get tight, right? But when God has provided for us like he provided for the Corinthian church, and they were so eager when things were okay, but now all of a sudden there's a little bit of a concern. When they were so eager to give, and he calls them out on that through Paul, and he says, why can't you be more like the Macedonians who don't even think about their own poverty, but they think about their gratitude of giving because of what God had done for them? He asked us this simple question, and the question I'll ask for you, how has God provided for you so that you can give your resources to serve God and others? Now, To be fair, people don't give to things that don't go places. That's one of the reasons why 25% is so important to me. It's an arbitrary number at the end of the day. I'd love for our church to give 50%. I really would. I'd love for us to get to a place to where all we're really doing is covering a couple of salaries and everything else goes back into the mission of God in our community and around the world so that people know, see, hear, and experience Jesus Christ. That's a lofty goal. I'd love to be there. I hope to get there one day. I really do. One of the ways we may get there is not having this great big old building that only gets used for a couple hours on Sunday. I'm not opposed to a church building. Don't misunderstand me. But I'm opposed to the stewardship that says we've got to have some sort of place that calls us an actual church. Because the, the Corinthians here, man, they could have had the best place in the world and they weren't acting like the church that God had called them to be. Okay? So how do I best give my resources to serve God? I think first and foremost, we have to understand that giving is an action and gratitude is an attitude. Giving is an action we can all give. You've probably heard sermons or watched people at a banquet or whatever. Give till it hurts. Man, it already hurts. (laughs) Let's just be honest, right? I mean, when I hear that, I'm I'm like, I'm done because I'm already hurting. Give, no, don't give to her. Give because it hurts. Give, who cares about it? Give because you have the right attitude of gratitude. I'm giving to this because there is a cause in my life. There is a calling on my life. I am returning back a portion financially of a blessing that has come to me spiritually. And I can't quantify those to make sense, but I can make sure that that blessing continues on to other people because I have an attitude of gratitude. I am grateful because after all, I owe those Jews for sending the message of Jesus to me, the Gentiles, so that I might receive eternal life through Jesus Christ. And I am grateful for that. It's not just a financial burden for me. And so when giving is an action and gratitude is an attitude, there are some things that we specifically can do to make sure that we give our resources for God's purposes. And the first thing I want to show you this morning is to trust the provider and not the provision. Hear me clearly, and anybody who's got a problem with this, you can get up and walk out right now. But the, the, the prosperity gospel is one of the most heretical, destructive things I've ever heard in my entire life. It is not only killing the church, it is killing the rest of the world. 
You're impoverished because you don't trust God enough. You're impoverished because you don't give God enough money. You're impoverished. If God wants me to have a $6 million Learjet, then God's going to provide for me a Learjet. That is a big old lie. Thank you, Jesus, for catching that one. The prosperity gospel has driven poverty into not only in places like Africa, it's right here in these United States where people have this misguided misinformation that if I would just give more, if I would just do more of this and this, then God would bless me. I got news for you. If you take a breath, take a big breath with me, everybody. You've just been blessed by God. He's given you one more moment to do something with your life today for his kingdom. What'd that cost you? Sitting in hard plastic chairs? Oh, God, you've got it hard. I hate the prosperity gospel. Can I say that? Because it is neither prosperous or the gospel. It is an oxymoron and an outright lie from the enemy that is cooked up that a couple of guys who I think at one time heard the message of Jesus Christ and twisted it for their own benefit and liked what they were hearing and the benefits that it provided. I also don't think that pastors should live in abject poverty. I'm, I'm not for that. God provides for me so I can live in the community where I minister. Bottom line, I've said it before and I'll say it again. Am I getting paid what I'm worth? No, none of us ever are. But I'm going to tell you something. It doesn't matter what I get paid. If I'm not giving back and trusting the provider instead of the provision, i got a problem. I can't look at my life and say that I've got all these great things and all these wonderful things are happening because God is blessing me because I've given him. No, no, I need to trust the provider who says I'll take care of every need you ever have. And if he wants to take my home away from me, that is his. If he wants to take my car away from him, that is his. And you know what? If I'm not using either of those things for his glory, then I don't deserve to have them. Now, there's something for you right there, right? Aren't we glad God doesn't look at the stuff we have and go, you know what, I really could give that to somebody else who could use it a whole lot better. Dear Macedonian church, I'll be sending you a care package from the Corinthians. They've misused the stewardship by which I provided for them. Mm. Kind of like a neighbor borrowing a tool and never giving it back, right? A year later, you finally realize it's missing. Boy, you really needed that one, didn't you? 2 Corinthians chapter 9, as Paul continues on his conversation, he says this, remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Don't we like to misquote that verse? And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in everything you want to do for yourself as long as you're happy about it. No, every good work that he's provided. You will abound in every good work because he's provided everything for you in its due time and everything is there. Man, we got this huge financial windfall. A minute ago, I was talking about this PPP loan and all this other stuff that's going on where the government wanted to keep our churches open so we could continue to do things. And you know what? I appreciate that to a degree, but I got to be honest with you. As a, as, a, as a church, we don't pay taxes. And so I didn't want to receive tax dollars to stay open. I felt very hypocritical about that. Didn't feel like it made a whole lot of sense. And I'm just a little bit of a skeptic in there that thinks, you know what? There are always strings attached. I just, I'm sorry, church, I'll I'll confess to you. But I'm not going to go down to Egypt and borrow. I'm going to pay the man for what I need. That's what Jacob said to his sons when they were in drought and famine. Don't go down to Egypt and borrow from them. Pay them what you get. When God has provided for us, unfortunately what we do is sometimes we, we sow sparingly and so we also reap sparingly. Is there really a need in your life that God hadn't met? If you answer yes to that, my guess is going to be this. It's, it's not financial. My guess is it's, it's relational. It's perhaps emotional. Maybe it's health-related. It's not financial. God has supplied every need that you have, and even some of your experiences, as terrible as they may be, God can use that in such great and amazing ways. Secondly, I want to tell you this morning to let your giving be an act of worship. We have struggled in this church with how we give and how we do that. 
I like online giving because it's, it's easy. I'm a salesman at heart, and there's nothing that makes me happier than separating you from your money. It's just who I am, right? I can sell pretty much anything. I've heard the arguments, well, online giving, you really don't approach the Lord with your best, and you don't do this. I understand that. I do, trust me. But let's go back to what 2 Corinthians 9 says. Don't be compelled. Give according to your heart. Deal with that accordingly. But if you're going to sit there and tell me that you don't like online giving, so you're not going to give, listen, I just don't think that that's a giving attitude. I think that's a preference, and you need to work through that, okay? It's okay to have that preference. It is, but you've got to work through that because a plate's still available. You can still pass that plate and do whatever you need to do. But then I would probably go back and challenge you too, are you tithing at all? So don't tell me about your 1% that you give and you pay a half percent to the credit card company or whatever for whenever you do that, but you also get the credit card points whenever you give back to the church. Don't don't talk to me about that. I don't care. I love you, I just don't care. Because God doesn't want your money, he wants your heart. Remember that? One swipe at a time. Psalm 115, 4 through 8, this may hurt a little bit. I don't apologize. But their idols are silver and gold made by human hands. They have mouths but cannot speak, eyes but cannot see. They have ears but cannot hear, noses but cannot smell. They have hands but cannot feel, feet but cannot walk, nor can they utter a sound with their throats. Those who make them will be like them, and so will all who trust in them. Man, when giving is not an act of worship, then you could throw anything up and worship it, and it wouldn't cost you anything. The psalmist here writes about how they turn their gold and their silver into idols and they worshiped the creation instead of the creator as Paul tells us earlier in Romans. And so when I give, it shouldn't be out of compulsion or the pastor stepped on my toes this morning or that church always wants money. I give because I am having an attitude of gratitude for the message that I received for the salvation of Jesus Christ. I give because there are others out there in this world who have never heard the good news, and I want to make sure they're able to hear the good news. I give because my neighbors have these things over here. I don't give because I want to build up this false temple. I give because I am the temple, and he that dwells in me has compelled me to trust him and to follow him. And when I give to him, I return to him a portion of what he's provided for me and my family. And so as long as I don't sow sparingly, I don't reap sparingly. But my giving is an act of worship. And it ought to be. And so I'll just say this. If giving bothers you so much in the church that it's not a worshipful attitude for you, keep your money. Because God would rather have your heart. I won't go so far as some churches that say, tithe for a month, and if you don't see God's blessing, we'll give it back to you. No, once you give it, it's ours. Okay, we're keeping it. (laughs) Amanda's mother was one of the greatest ladies I ever knew, and she had this gift of giving. She was a giver. In 23 years of marriage, Amanda's only done Thanksgiving one time because her mother just wouldn't let it happen. She would bring food to our house, cooked, prepared, ready to go. Christmas, same way. She just wanted to give and wanted to give and wanted to give. She cooked a lot. Man, that woman could cook. And we never really know, what do you give somebody who has everything? Some of you have older parents. It's like, what do I give to mom and dad, right? They have everything, and if not, they're going to go buy it, and if they don't go buy it, they don't need it anyway. That's, I, I don't know. My parents are probably not much different many years. They don't need anything. Boy, they sure would love some time with us, wouldn't they? Kind of reminds you of God, doesn't it? Anyway, Amanda had bought this, this uh, apron for her mother one Christmas because she liked to cook, right? So she had this apron and everything. The next Christmas, we're over at her house, and she comes running out. She goes, oh, I got this for you. And she brings her this apron that's in this nice little package and everything. Amanda opens up, and she realizes right early, this is the same one I gave mom last year. Being the wonderful, gracious, kind lady that she is, she did not say to her mom, hey, go get yours. We can take a picture together. (laughs) She didn't do that. She's a better person than I am. Y'all realize this, right? I told that story at her funeral a couple of weeks ago, and everybody laughed that knew her because she was the queen of regifting. It wasn't that she was cheap. It wasn't that she was mire- mirely. It was that she just loved to give. 
And when somebody gave her something that, that, that she either didn't need or that somebody could use more than she could, it did not break her heart at all to give it to them. At all. Yeah, we really ought to be re-gifters. I mean it. We really ought to be re-gifters. I think that's one of the best ways we can use our resources to give back to what God's kingdom is doing and for his purposes by realizing that everything we have comes from God, that that when he gives to us, he takes care. I mean, do you know what you're able to do with 90% of your income? If you would stop wastefully spending on some stuff, I'm not looking at my family at all right now, okay? So I can feel their daggers coming my way. I'm not giving up some of those things. Paul had the same conversation with the Macedonians about being re-gifters. After all, we owe those Jews because they sent us Jesus. They sent us the good news. And so we're going to re-gift that back to them because God's provided for us. And what we see in Matthew chapter 10, verse 5 through 8, Jesus is sharing, sending out the disciples. He says, these 12 Jesus sent out with, with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. For right now, we're going we're gonna to hold the gospel just right here for our people who have a context to hear it first, okay? And, and go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. Go to those who have heard the truth but have rejected it and pushed it away. Go and find them. And as you go, proclaim this message The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. And look, this last little part that I don't know how it got snuck in there in the midst of all these amazingly powerful things. It just says, freely you've received, freely you give. (laughs) This is crazy. Hey, boys, I want you to leave with nothing. Go do a lot of something with nothing that you leave with. And I want you to give it away like it's going out of style. And that's faith right there. That's not just the master saying, I believe in you. That's saying, you believe in me. And so when I re-gift back to what God has given to me, that's me saying, hey, you know what, God? I'm going to take the gift of the job you've given me, the resources you've given me, whatever the case may be, and I'm going to give it back. And one of the greatest arms I have to do that with is the church. Because I'm going to pray that when I give to this church that they make good, responsible decisions. But I'm going to trust that when I give, I'm not going to dictate that gift. I'm going to trust that God put people in stewardship and responsibility and accountability to do great and amazing things for the piece of the sliver of the pie that he's carved out for our representation of the body of Christ in our community. And I'm going to re-gift that. I'm going to return back to you, Lord, an, an, an inkling of a percentage that you've given for me to provide. And I'm going to be a re-gifter with pride. Man, why do you give so much? Our accountant, she's a really nice lady. She looks at, at our charitable giving and she says to me, boy, you guys really give a whole lot, don't you? And I said, I really wish we could give more. She's like, are you kidding me? I'm like, no. She says, you must really need a tax write-off. I said, I've done the math. I'd have to give a whole lot more for that to make a difference. You know, one of the challenges that churches are facing in the, in the, the coming years, we've faced this for a long time, is the thought that we may lose our tax exemption status. And if we lose our tax exemption status, then that means that people may not give to the church because they won't have that tax write-off at the end of the year. God doesn't want your money. He wants your heart. So I really don't care if it's a tax write-off or not. It's saying, God, I'm going to re-gift back to you what you've given to me because I see that there's kingdom work to be done and that you're placing people to do that. And you've called me just to give a percentage of that and trust somebody else to go do that other work. And if you really can't buy into that theory, then just buy into this one. Hey, if I just give to the church, somebody else will take care of that, and I'm off the hook. You you like that plan? I don't because you're just pouring a blessing away. But I'll take your money because that's what I do. I'm a salesman, right? No. I want your money. I want your heart. I want your heart to say, you know what? This doesn't just feel better to me. This makes sense to me. My mind, my heart, my hands, my soul has been engaged by this check that I've written because I'm just going to trust God's going to do great things with it. Finally, I'm going to encourage you to make giving a lifestyle. It's so interesting that children are born with a take mentality. What's one of the first words that kids learn? Do y'all know what that word is? Mine. <laughs> mine. Really? <laughs> mine. Wow, where did they learn that from? 
it's probably from grabbing things that aren't theirs, right? And somebody's saying, mine. It's, it's, it's caught as well as taught, isn't it? We make giving a lifestyle that becomes a part of who we are in such a way that we don't even think about that. It's not just habitual, which it can be, and I actually am okay with that. As long as you can kind of get back to say, this is a good habit that I have, and I'm in the habit of giving the first fruits to my God. Now, we can debate net and gross all day long, but I'll go back to what I said a minute ago. God doesn't want your money, he wants your heart. And so if that percentage makes a big deal to you, then that percentage makes a big deal to you, okay? Deal with that on your own. We can talk about that. I won't try to convince you any other way. I would just tell you that if you're bothered between net and gross, just give 15%. You don't have to worry about it. They're both covered. Some of you mathematicians are doing the math right now going, yeah, he's right. First John chapter 3, verse 16 through 18 tells us this. This is how we know what love is. That ought to just be a stopper right there, right? Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and truth. The truth is God doesn't want your money, he wants your heart. The truth is that giving is an action, but gratitude is an attitude. And when I give with gratitude that God is using me to move forward the resources he provided for me, that he gave to me the little bit, and I was responsible with it, and he gave me a little bit more, and I was responsible with it. And for, 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 for that responsibility, God has put me in places where I can make an impact. Perhaps he's given me a, a gift of giving to where generosity flows out of me because that is the response to the Holy Spirit in my life. Perhaps that's the case. But I tell you something, when we make giving a lifestyle, we don't stop and count the cost to us. We stop and we look at the returns to others. This was exactly what Paul said to the Macedonian church and what he was reminding the Corinthians. The Macedonians gave out of their extreme poverty. And all the more, it put them deeper in the hole. Now, he's not advocating for debt. He's just saying that they did without a little bit. But I supplied all of their needs. And a year ago when you said, we'd like to be a part of this, I'm here to collect. I'm not here to connect the finances on this. I'm here to collect your attitude and your heart. Is giving a lifestyle or is it just some sort of weird command or is it just something that the pastor steps on whenever we dip down into the budget a little bit and giving is not what it ought to be? Come on, we've all been in churches like that. Church this morning, I was going to preach out of Deuteronomy chapter 6 about the family. But since we haven't made finances in a while, I thought I'd bring up some, No. I really don't care what you give. I care that you don't give God your heart. That's the burden that I carry for each and every one of you. Angela and I had a great conversation this past week about carrying burdens, about knowing there are people in our church that financially are, are, are having difficulties, that, that are having work issues, that there's relational issues and there's, there's challenges with, with children and with spouses, that there's illnesses and sicknesses that are going on. Those burdens... I carry all those things, but you know one of the greatest burdens that are so easily overcome is to stop at some point and say, I'm going to make giving a lifestyle in God. I'm going to trust you. Because when I was baptized, my wallet was baptized with me. Giving's a tough thing to talk about some days because it does actually require action and not thought. You can't think about giving and feel good about not giving. Shoulda, coulda, woulda, but you didn't. That's the same message Paul gave to the Corinthian church. He brought that in. And so this morning, I want to tell you about the ministry of our church as we close. As the band comes up and talks with you this morning, I just want to share with you a, a story about a, a good Catholic church that was wanting to remodel after so many years. They were saying, hey, we haven't painted this place in forever. The, the pews and the kneelers are, are old and everything else. And the, 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 the priest gets up and he says, I got good news and bad news for you today. The good news is that we're going to carry on with this remodeling project. The bad news is all the money's in your pockets. I am not one of those that believes that we're going to reach the entire world in this generation, especially if we're not going to bother to reach our neighbors in this generation. 
I'd love to see God come through like that. Don't misunderstand me. But I guarantee you, first and foremost, we will never reach the entire world if the church continues to be stingy. And I mean that with the gifts that God has provided for us for his kingdom. He doesn't want your money. He wants your heart. And where your treasure is, your heart will be also. And when you follow of the, 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 the sowing and reaping sparingly, look what would happen if I would just trust God with five more percent of what he's given me. Look what would happen if I would trust God in so many other areas of my life. When giving's a lifestyle, I think we see more of Christ when he loved the world so much that he went to the cross for us and gave his life so that we might have eternal life. That's a giving lifestyle, is it not? So for those of you who are here this morning and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, please, by all means, when we pass this plate in a minute, don't put a nickel in there. I would rather see you put your heart and trust your confidence in Jesus Christ and let's work on those other things. And for some of you who may be struggling with, maybe I haven't been given or I haven't trusted God or maybe I need to work on this a little bit, good. It's okay to have that discourse with God. It's okay to have that argument with him. It's okay to listen to him long enough to say, okay, Lord, I get it. You've provided for me. I get it. I know I can do more. I've just chosen not to. So can you help me with that attitude? Can you help me work through that? Can you give your resources for God's purposes? Last week we talked about time, and this week we're talking about talents. Let's pray together. Father, it's all yours. And I will be the first to confess that sometimes I try to control it like it's mine, and it never was. God, it just doesn't work out that way. Lord, your servant Job told us that We can't just accept the good from you and not the bad. Sometimes we fall on hard times and many times we create hard times. Lord, help us to be more like the Macedonians. Father, help us to be more generous, to be re-gifters, to not worship idols that we create with our own money. Father, help us to trust in you with just a percentage of what you give to us. Father, lead us down your path of righteousness. Let that start, Lord, with our trust in the finances. God, thank you for how you provide for this church. Thank you for how you help us to do what we do each and every day. But God, I'm asking you right now for more. Lord, not more money, but more reach into our community, more exposure into the the homes. just need to hear that Jesus loved them so much he died for them and so God I'm asking you to provide those opportunities for us and the resources to make that happen God I'm also praying for the the churches who have just bought into the prosperity gospel Father deliver them from that wickedness set them free Lord from the misunderstanding that we can buy our way into heaven. Father, we thank you for the blood that purchased our eternal life. And we ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. We'll pass the offering plate around this morning. <laughs> Just pass